Hey there, this is Fred Pissarro, and you're listening to Metal Matters, the official Gimme Metal podcast, where we explore all things new, some things classic, but all things heavy, with my co-host, Michael Berdan. We here at Metal Matters are thrilled and honored to be joined today by death metal juggernaut Carl Willens. For many of our listeners out there, Carl doesn't require much of an introduction. He is the legendary voice behind many of Bolt Thrower's most celebrated albums and currently fronts the brilliantly devastating Memoriam. We spoke with Carl at length about tributes and cover songs, the importance of storytelling, and the often overlooked life-affirming powers inherent in death metal. As you'll see, Carl is a real class act and a total joy to speak with. You're not going to want to miss this one. Stay tuned. Carl, thanks a lot. Thanks so much for um, coming coming on the the podcast with us today. That's not going on. Excellent. And uh, we're really excited to have you on. I mean, like, um, I don't know the. You know, this this new record is it's the fourth LP for you guys overall. Um, the full. And I guess from what I was, you know, from I, I mean, I've heard the other ones and uh, but I wasn't aware of the kind of concept behind the the um, the trio of LPs that you did in the last one. But um, it's funny because I read. I read some older interviews that said that you guys were going to number four, you guys were going to do some like sacrilege covers and do some ax grinder well, covers. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's, 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 that, well, I tell you what, mate, that, that was the original conception of why we started doing the band in the mm-hmm. first place. That was our original idea. What we wanted to do was just have a bit of a, in the go, go to the rehearsal room once a week, have a bit of a laugh. Uh, jam out some old cover versions of, of all the kind of songs from bands that influenced us to to want to be in bands in the first place, you know. So the old, all the old grind kind of crust punk kind of stuff that we were really into, you know, and a few other ad hoc songs. Uh, and that was really all we wanted to do, really. We didn't really have any you know, grand plans to take it any further than that. Maybe do a few local shows, you know, and, and, and maybe put a few seven inches out, maybe an album of all these glorious cover versions that we intended to do. Yeah. Uh, and then Scott kind of ruined it all um, by kind of kind of coming up with these kind of like this suggestion that he had some original songs that he thought might be quite good to record. <laughs> and so once he kind of showed us these songs that he had, uh, we kind of thought, well, they sound pretty good. Let's, let's have a crack at doing it instead. Um, yeah. So this whole concept of doing this, uh, this covers uh, album has taken a, a bit of a back burner. And mm-hmm. so it did for three albums mm-hmm. with the first trilogy. And then when we came to the end of our contract with, with, um, with Nuclear Blast, we thought, well, yeah, this is the prime opportunity to, you know, fulfill the uh, original obligation that we had in the first place and do this fantastic, uh, great you know, cover album, this album of cover tracks, you know, and release it ourselves because mm-hmm. um, we were out of contract. Um, mm-hmm. Make some money for ourselves, why not? Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that, that again, that's kind of got knocked into touch once again by us being approached and signing up to our new label, Reaper Entertainment, which um, 
which has been great. And so, therefore, the the there is a new trilogy afoot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so the three albums in the bag. So you know this 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 whole uh, punk classic, you know, crust punk cover album, which has been delayed yet again. <laughs> so yeah. um, it will be done at some point. Yeah, it's definitely going to get done. Uh, mm-hmm. But probably not until about 20, where are we now, 2021? Probably yeah. for, not for another two or three years at least. So, uh, so there's, there's, I mean, there's, it's great to know that we've got something in the bag that we want to achieve. Uh, so there's life there's life in this entity that is Memoriam. You know, there's at least another three or four years worth of us uh, producing and, and putting out records uh on our on our horizons so uh you know it's good it's good to have that yeah we, and we're gonna do it you know it, it's it's it's, it's got to be done <laughs> yeah before unless i die beforehand <laughs> but even if i die i'm still gonna do it <laughs> so, so what you're saying is by like 2030 or so you can live the dream yeah. of making memoriam a full-on cover band yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's, that, that might, might, yeah, we, we want to be a we've always wanted to be a cover band. Was, <laughs> we've never, we haven't managed to do it yet. We've, we've dabbled, we've done a couple of covers, but we haven't done it wholesale, and that's really what we want to be. So we want to we still play, we play little club, little pubs, we're playing the local pubs to 20 people doing cover versions. Man, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, that sounds so fun. You know, like yeah, play, like playing. So I, I might, yeah, I might manage to achieve it by the time I'm seventy. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> Living the dream. Oh my god. Our aspirations have always been to just to just to be a covers band. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the one thing about um, some of the bands you were mentioning there and, and just knowing the bands you grew up and with and all that and we should we should get into your upbringing all that a little bit but i read a bunch of stuff about you know you guys coming together with memoriam because of like a shared interest in in some of these bands and then what 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 are, what are these bands i know that we were just talking about axe grinder and we were talking about um the old sacrilege and like um what are some of these other ones yeah i mean it's, it's that whole kind of like 80s kind of grind, well, whatever they call it back then, grind crust punk kind of scene. Yeah. So, yeah, emerged from the UK, uh-huh. uh, which is really where my musical heritage lies. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's really, you know, where what I, I was, you know, in my uh, formative years, you know, back when I was like, you know, my late teens, early 20s, that was that was all the shows that we were into. So, yeah, going, going up to up to Birmingham. Uh, into the city and uh, to uh, to go to you know the legendary mermaid which I used to go to every other weekend or, or deep basilic or my great kind of like uh, geeks uh, GBH from Birmingham you know those, those kind of like those seminal kind of punk rock bands but also this whole new wave of kind of growing crust punk you know so it's sort of deviated instincts mm-hmm. you're talking you know amoebics as I said uh, yeah. amoebics antisect yeah. Axe Grinder Axe Grinder one of my favourite bands as well they did some great stuff Hell yeah, Bastard Doom, I would imagine Hell yeah. Bastard of course yeah Scruff yeah. the old yeah. Scruff I still sort of see you know, in contact with him quite a lot in fact I did some cover, some lyrics on one of their uh, their um, their songs recently so that's going to be really soon oh, cool, cool. So, yeah, so those, connect, those connections are still there you know all the people that were involved Doom you know great great thing of course. Doom you know uh, I, I appeared on the Doom Peel sessions back then you got paid 
per member of the band. So I joined the band for the day, did some screaming in the back of the truck. We got paid an extra extra fee, which covered the you know, covered the cost of the van. And that's how it was back then. You know, it's it was great. It was it was uh, it was great. So it all very collaborative scene it was. You know, there was no real kind of like, you know, sense of of uh, you know rivalry or competition back then whatsoever. It was all very collaborative and we all helped one another around, supported each other throughout the scene. You know, it was great. You know, Heresy, Ripcord, Rip you know, you name it. There's there's loads of bands from that back in that day, which you know, are pretty much unheard of, as you say. You know, there's not a lot of people. So we want to kind of you know bring those back into people's kind of like you know, uh, you know vision and, and mindset and, and kind of uh, you know celebrate those kind of bands that, that really without them we wouldn't be doing what we're doing today. You know, so it's it's uh, it's great to still be doing it. Yes, absolutely. Um, a quick note, Carl. Like, why don't we just turn the video off? We don't need the video either way. Uh, we could do that. We could do that. Okay. 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 So I think I think all we do is stop video. Stop video. Yeah. Oh, you got my work. Me, me work picture oh, there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. Okay, that's my that's my classic work picture. That is. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, I I feel like I'm in professional hands now. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you want a business startup loan, I'm your man. <laughs> you, you know what? <laughs> Sorry, you have to be UK resident only. <laughs> um, as a dumb American, and I don't know if Berdan can agree with me on this. I would imagine he can. But to me, Birmingham in like that era feels like New York City in the late 70s to a certain degree. You know what I'm saying? I mean, for for fans of a certain genre, you know? Yeah. yeah. I feel like there's so much shit that came out of there that was kind of all in the same world, but also not, but also going into many, many, many different worlds at the same time, you know? Yes, I mean, the productivity of our city, I'm very proud of our, our musical heritage in Birmingham, you know, is, is, you know, from my opinion, second to none throughout the, throughout the decades, you know, we've, we've, we've kind of, we've got this very proud independence, you know, kind of sense of identity here in Birmingham. We're not, you know, we're not London. You know, we're not in the centre of, of the, you know, the, 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 we're not the capital of the country. We're not kind of really kind of like in with the the media scene down in London. So, yeah, I think we in Birmingham, we have to work out a little bit harder. And we've just, we've got this very kind of like a fiercely independent kind of a sensibility. So there's so all across all different genres, you know, whatever the music comes from Birmingham, it's always got this kind of fierce kind of edge to it, you know. And, and in, the, in the late 80s, yeah, in particular, you know, we always got to draw reference to Black Sabbath. You know, they, they mm-hmm. kind of like paved the way in the, in the in the kind of field of metal, really. Yeah. For us. But yeah, we're talking about the whole the whole kind of like um, the late eighties kind of punk metal crossover scene. But it's incredibly vibrant here in in mm-hmm. Birmingham. You know, yeah, there's so many bands that, that developed from that. You know, we're talking, you know, Napalm Death. Yeah, kind of, you know, got one of, one of them. Yeah, kind of Benediction. Mm-hmm. Thrower, you know, you just name it. There's there's a whole ream of bands that kind of developed out of the city, and um, yeah, I think it's because you know we we kind of like we had to try that a little bit. Yeah, we we're the, right in the middle of the country, so it can it's, it it's, it kind of took ages to get anywhere, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so yeah. uh, so so we kind of whenever we had to we had to work a bit, it's a bit harder, really, to to kind of to make things work for us, and um, yeah, that's that that's that's why. 
we all work so well, you know, uh, we all kind of support each other and um, are very proud of our Brummie heritage indeed. Do you think that there's an element of like, kind of like, you know, like with, with Sabbath being, you know, from there, you know, the whole idea of like, if they can do it, we can do it kind of thing. Yeah. I think, I think that seeing bands like that achieve what they do, you know, mm-hmm. and, and seeing, seeing all the other bands around us, are trying and attempting to do things and getting you know, and, and achieving success in what they're doing. It gives you this motivation and that inspiration to to push forward. You know, it's it's all about that kind of small steps and working hard. You know, first of all, you're, you're obviously going to get a band together. You get a few songs. You do local shows, mm-hmm. and then you slowly, steadily work it out, and you get you start to work further afield. But yeah, I think I think it's by seeing all the things around you and and, and being inspired by the the different uh, achievements of, of the bands around you that kind of pushes you on. You know, it shows you that that that's, uh, the opportunities are there. You know, and if you work hard at it, you can achieve it. You know, so it, it kind of puts that into your mindset that it is achievable and it is doable because you know your peers and other people around you are all at it and doing similar things. And you know, it, it's it's, it's you know, it was still very supportive to the, to the, to this day. You know, that we've I, I'm a staunch, uh, you know, believer and, and pr- promote the, the local bands uh, from from the Birmingham area as much as I possibly can. It's great. It's great to see that. You know, there's, there's, you know, each generation brings its whole new set of bands along as well. You know, it's, it's constantly evolving and, and uh, constantly changing, and it's it's a very strong and vibrant scene here in Birmingham. But uh, yeah, you know, it's a great place to to come from. You know, we're very proud of our. Yeah, our musical heritage, and and there is such a lot happening here, not just in metal, but in other 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 scenes as well. You know, you kind of uh, you know, closely involving kind of like there's a big like drum and bass scene that comes from 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 here as well. You know, and that's kind of like all that urban kind of stuff. So yeah, it's 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 a very a very vibrant and alive city, but. Um, there's not much going on gig-wise at the moment. I think that kind of applies to the, the whole planet at the moment. But uh, yeah. <laughs> gig-wise, yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Um, so you know, can you can you take us back to like? Uh, I know that you you know you had involvement with like Doom and um, Benediction and Bolt Thrower early, and uh, you know I know that you were doing like kind of like roadie stuff with Bolt Thrower early early on before you like kind of joined in and all that. So, but let's talk about like your entry point. I mean, maybe even before that, you know, like when you were a baby, uh, baby girl. I <laughs> you know? know. Yeah. 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 What yeah. was your entry point and how did that come about? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's quite, um, a clearly defined moment in my life. Really. I can really kind of, I can actually pinpoint that to a specific, uh, night, which was my, uh, my 21st birthday, which um, I was at the Mermaid, like you do, uh, most like most weekends, at the Mermaid, drinking cider and black and perno, which we used to call Devil's Piss, and um, <laughs> seeing my favourite band play called Sacrilege, you know, and, um, you know, watching them play, you know, was was incredible for me. I went to virtually all the shows that they ever did. And uh, that was the seminal light bulb moment where, you know, I was watching them perform, you know, seeing Damien with his guitar, seeing Andy Baker on the drums back then, Tony May on bass. You know, and for me, yeah, watching Tam, you know, Linda Simpson on, uh, on vocals and, and just, just kind of watching them perform was that point where I thought, I really want to do something like this. I, I, and I could do something like this, you know. And... Um, 
you know, that was the that was the point in my life where I thought, yeah, well, you know, I'm gonna give it, I'm gonna give it, give it a go. I'm gonna get try and get involved in doing some kind of doing some stuff with bands. And you know, it was around that time where Andy was kind of just joined, where he was a member of of a you know, a drummer of Bolt Thrower. So I, yeah, I kind of like help started helping him out by default uh, because I could drive, which really helped. So it all just kind of flowed from that point onwards, really, in my life. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I've always. Yeah, I come from a musical background. My, my, my kind of family mm-hmm. were involved in the music industry. All my brothers, I've got, you know, a lot of, I've got three three older brothers that were all involved in bands in the 60s. And my dad was a, a band entertainment manager. You know, he, he, used, to, he used to book bands. You know, oh, wow. The, the club, nightclubs around and the clubs around Birmingham. Yeah, so I was always aware of, of these crazy kind of like, um, you know, band people coming around to our house and and, and getting their, getting paid like uh, Steve Winwood from from Spencer Davis and all these kind oh, of like really uh, that's yeah, absolutely yeah from a very early age and I used to answer the phone to these people and talk to them and you know all these <laughs> strange characters coming to our house to collect their money for their gig fees for for doing shows and so that kind of it, it kind of gave me that that mindset that being in a band or doing music was was a possibility, you know, it was something that, you know, that maybe a lot of people don't get that in their lives, you know, they maybe kind of, they're, they're deaf, their parents are, they work in an office or they work in a factory and that's what they do. And uh, so that's where their mindset is, you know, but for me, you know, my dad used to do that, you know, he used to work in a, in a factory as well, but he used to be a band manager, band agent. So, the whole music thing and seeing my brothers all perform in bands in the 60s. I mean, you know, they were, in, they were in bands and they used to go away at the weekends, you know, in a comma van, you know, which was parked in the bottom of my garden, uh, which I used to play in when I was, when I was younger. And they used to do like the, all these gigs with like bands like Small Faces and The Who and, and that, and these kind of club circuits back in the day. Wow. And, um, so that kind of really kind of like give gave me the mindset of of that being a potential avenue of something to do in your life, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas for a lot of people, it's not it's not even like an option. Yeah. So it's always there in the back of my mind. But watching Sacrilege play on that night was the thing that triggered it all off and made me think, well, this is something I've got to pursue because I really want to go and do something like that, and uh, I want to be. You know, I don't want to be Tam. You know, obviously, that's not physically possible because she's a girl. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. Why not? Uh, well, yeah, why not? Why not? But, yeah, and, yeah, and it's great because, yeah, it, it all came full circle in a way, you know, because, um, you yeah, know, we did with the, with the first album, we kind of, we did a cover version of The of the Captive on on, on that, uh, around that time as well. And, and Tam came down to the studio and she did uh, the vocals with me as a kind of, kind of duet kind of thing and um you know I got all fanboy and gushy about it like you do and uh, but it's great you know to, to actually kind of finally achieve these things in your life that uh, that you you really really wanted to set out and do when you were younger and, and do it if you ask me you know back when I was 21 when I first started doing this you know, whether I'd still be doing it at the age of 54, which I am today, this well, you know, this this year, uh, I'd have probably laughed at you because it was there was no kind of idea of, of any longevity of doing it. But um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's brilliant to be in this position today to still be doing the thing that I love doing, you know, and I enjoy every moment of it. And uh, long may it last. Uh, let me ask you about your your vocal style. You know, your your vocal style is very iconic now, but. I would imagine when you were developing it, there was uh, there's not that many people doing anything 
anywhere near like that. Uh, where did that kind of come from? Like where, like, was it just a mix of mix of influences? Did it lean one way or the other? How did you find that idea to go in that direction? Yeah, it's, it's just, it, that's, a, that's a strange one, really, because it's it's almost like a physical response to the music that's around you. You know, I don't, I don't, I've never really kind of based my vocal style on on anything else that I've kind of like uh, heard previously. I, I, I refer to my my vocal style as uh, rhythmical shouting. <laughs> it's never in a million years what I call singing. It's rhythmical shouting. So it sounds into, and it kind of just tends to work. You know, it just, it just naturally comes out as a response to the music that's played. Um, so I've never really kind of like put any thought into, you know, or I want to sound like X or I want to sound like Y. It's just something that comes out as a response to the music. And it's something that's natural and, um, and, and, and genuine, you know, and, yeah. um, and for me, you know, it's not really about the kind of like the, the vocal ability of, of, of doing things. It's about the, the, it's more about the performance, really, at the end of the day. I think it's the enjoyment of doing it that really comes across. You know, there's lots of vocalists that I really, really admire, uh, not for their vocal um, technique or ability, but for the, for the way that they perform. And for me, it's, it's, the, it's the performance that counts. And, you know, you may not be the greatest singer in the world, but, it's, it's, you know, if you can convince people <laughs> that you're genuinely enjoying this, well, yeah, which is, which is true. You know, I wouldn't be doing it if I wasn't genuinely enjoying it. Um, yeah, yeah that's, half the, that's half the battle. You know, that, that's what it's all about, really. It's being true to yourself and, and, and just delivering something which is... Uh, which just comes from the heart, really, and um, without without thinking too much about it. You know, I think if you think too much about it or try to model yourself on somebody else's style of delivery, then then it doesn't. It comes up through as being a bit disingenuous and, and a bit false. So it's it's just something that's got to come come through naturally, and um, and that's what works for me. Uh, and so I've stuck to that, and I think through that through the through the decades, I managed to carve out my own little my own little niche and I, I tend to try to um, because I like uh, for me writing writing songs and writing lyrics uh, is the key I really enjoy that process the creative process of writing words uh, that mean something um, is important so I try to deliver them when I'm doing vocals as clearly as possible, you know. So I've, I'm kind of kind of fairly known for having a fairly with a with a Birmingham accent, obviously, um, a fairly clear enunciation of the words that I deliver. So you, you, you know, rather than being a, a guttural roar, which works well with certain bands, you know, I, I do take pride in trying to make it as clear as possible. So you don't have to kind of refer to the lyric sheet to see to hear what I'm singing. You know, I like to try like to try, the, try and make these words audible to the audience so that they can actually hear. What what I'm saying and, and uh, you know relate to them and make sense with them so that's what works for me you know and um, I enjoy doing that and I will continue to do that as long as I possibly can I mean that in and of itself is like a pretty a pretty amazing skill set you know when it comes to the genre or like you know like you said like rhythmic shouting for lots of people is just kind of making so like semi uh, like 
like semi-tuned sounds, but, um, <laughs> but you know, like words are well, you know, secondary to just the noise that, um, yes. that, that gets made. Um, and, you know, for you, you've managed to keep like to, yeah, clearly enunciate and still bring this in- intensity to a performance uh, along with the clarity and throughout your career, you you haven't let up. Your your voice has never really like failed you. You've never like yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it, yeah. it's different. You know, as you get older, your vocal ability, uh, your vocal technique and style changes. But I think that with with um, with age also comes experience and and uh, confidence as well. So you know what you maybe maybe lose in that kind of like uh, strength of your core vocal delivery yeah is balanced out by by the kind of like yeah, the, the actual kind of style or the emotion uh, that you can put into the to the uh, the casual delivery of it i think that's, that's equally important really you've got to really believe in what you what you uh, what you're saying you know or have some kind of like passion about what you're saying um to make it resonate with with the audience you know um often yeah your lyrics that you write you know once you've written them once you've kind of delivered them they get interpreted in, in, in different ways by different people. So they kind of like reflect their own experiences in life. And that's the, that's, that's the, that's the exciting and you know, experience of, of doing it. But for, for me, you know, as long as I can kind of like deliver, you know, clearly and strongly with passion, uh, what I believe in, that's really what's, what it's all about to me. And that's, that's what's, what makes, you know, what, what makes being a vocalist. Yeah, it's, it's the best part of being in a band, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, I, I, I think it's pretty great. I, so, I, I, you know, I, I know that you've, you haven't made it out to, uh, according to my notes, you haven't made it out to the United States um, with uh, Memoriam yet, correct? That's correct. Right? Correct, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we have not made a trip across the, uh, across the, the pond. pond. Yeah. We haven't, we haven't had the... Um, we haven't had any really reasonable offers to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we we kind of a band that's never going to go on a big, long, extended tour, you know. We've we've kind of done that in the past. Mm-hmm. We kind of tend to like do to do things on our own terms, so that really does kind of like restrict what we do. So, for example, we'll go away, or we do a lot, you know. We we do like you know, shows when there is a, the opportunity to do so every other weekend. Mm-hmm. So we'll go like, or fly into like a you know, European city, do you know, a couple of shows in a, in a region, and then we'll fly home. And that kind of suits us home. We, 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 that suits us fine. We, we're never really going to jump on a tour bus and spend six to eight weeks touring a specific territory. That really does not hold any sense of glory or, or, or you know, <laughs> desire to do that. But yeah, we've all got lots of other things going on in our lives. You know, not just, the band is something that's, that's great and we enjoy doing it, but we've all got, we've all got jobs. Oh, as you can see it on my profile picture. We've got, we've got all our jobs. We've got, uh, we've got, you know, families. We've got, you know, other, other responsibilities. You know, it's almost like, it's almost like a hobby in many respects. Uh, you know, yeah. we can just do it on our own terms the way we want to do it. So, yeah, the, 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 the chances of us playing in America are, I think, are remote, to be perfectly honest, because financially, financially and logistically, mm-hmm. it's just not worthwhile. Berdian brought up, you know, the, the intensity of your performance. And so, you know, the last time I saw you, uh, I, I know exactly when it was, it was probably 
was it like 13 or 14 when you played with um you played Maryland Death Fest and then you played um Chaos and Chaos with Bull Thrower. Yeah, yeah, in Austin. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. I really enjoyed yeah. that. <laughs> Good, great gigs. But I think the the funny uh, I think he brings up a really great point. I think when you're looking at when you were looking at Bull Thrower the band, okay, everybody up there had like this stone face serious look. And you had this half stone faced, half smiley, giggly guy thing up there. Yeah, I, I mean that's it. I mean that's because we we we, we pretty much were. That's that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I would think because you know we with with we both we didn't really do that much. Yeah. So when when we did do things, it was kind of a a very special kind of occasion. Yeah, and. Um, and because of that, yeah, we enjoyed every moment for what it was, yeah, and and we appreciated, and we still do, yeah. I think we've been more as well. Yeah, that kind of that still holds true. That that ethos um, kind of re- revolves through what we do. Yeah, we pick and choose what we want to do on our own terms still. And so, what we when we do play a show, you know, we just really enjoy doing it. And I think that comes across by the chemistry in the band and the connectivity between us all and the audience because you know they know they're not going to get to see us again in six months time you know at another venue down the road yeah we the week we, when we come along it's going to be pretty much a one-hit event in their lives so those those mo- those moments in your life do resonate quite strongly uh in you and, and leave that kind of lasting experience you know with you so yeah i think we, we kind of hold on to that kind of like that part of that yeah with what we do with memoriam as well and yeah, it, it's special times. I, I, yeah, I mean, I think life's too short to, uh, to to take it too seriously as well. You know, you, you see that with a lot of these bands that go out there and they, you know, they're very, you know, very you know, kind of straight faced and very serious about what they do. But you know, come on, you know, this is this is a, a celebration. This this night is is is, is once a one off special night, and yeah, you have to enjoy it. And I think the fact that we enjoy what we're doing on stage. You know, I think that kind of like um, has an effect on the audience and the way that they view what you're doing as well. I think that they kind of like they kind of appreciate that you're enjoying it, so they enjoy it more as well because that they can kind of, they feel that they can let, they can let they, you know, if you're enjoying it, you showing that you're enjoying it. Well, they they can let themselves go as well, and they can enjoy it too. They don't have to be so serious about it either. Yeah, yeah, I I completely relate to that, and it's something that I admire about about you and your bands and the way that you operate. Um, I, I understand taking your music seriously when, when you're writing it, when you're playing it. However, like this idea that like, you're supposed to somehow be like, be miserable or look yeah. miserable <laughs> when you're doing this thing. Yeah. I mean, how can you be? Cause it's an absolute joyous occasion. Isn't it? You know, it's, yeah. it's, every night when you, when you, you, you do a show, it's, 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 it's special, you know, cause you, you're never going to do that again. Are you? It's, it's, it's a one-off special experience that, um, that, you know, you just have to embrace it. And, and you know, I've often kind of been known to say this, it's a celebration of life through death metal. You know, that's one of the things that, uh, it's a moniker that I got an ethos that I hold to quite strongly. So, yeah, we, 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 you have to convey that enjoyment and, and have, have that ability to go on stage with your friends and play the music that you've created. Uh, it's some far-flung part of, the, part of the world, which is, you know, not, 
on your doorstep is is an incredible experience to do that you know and it's, it's a joyous joyous experience and you know it's it's a natural reaction to to want to share that joy with other people you know and um there's too much there's too much misery and sorrow and uh, in the world around us in real life so let's make each night you know something special and something different and and um rise above all the reality of the world that's around us and just have one joyous in the you know, moment of of togetherness which is what it's all about mm-hmm. i think uh, i i here's here's a question that uh, i have about that though i actually you know, so my partner um, michael bernan here he's a he's a vocalist and he's got a band called uniform um and he sings in it so but here's my question i guess is that you know, because speaking, I'm, and the reason why I mentioned that, and speaking as someone who doesn't sing in a band, um, does you know? Obviously, it's a fun time for you guys, and it's you know, it's an important thing. But um, also, you guys are <laughs> you're playing a role up there, essentially. You know, is there? You, you see what I'm saying? Is there like a is there a dividing line between where the role is, where you begin, and where that ends when it comes to like? that kind of performance yeah i mean i i see what you're saying there yeah because yeah. the, the, the me at home the me uh you know being the father of two children the father the the, the, the the kind of the full-time um you know job that i have kind of like as a, a commercial lending manager uh the uh the the, the care of a, a mother with alzheimer's disease is a very different kind of like um, person that i am when I'm away doing shows, but that's, that's, um, that's the beauty of it. You know, the fact that I am escaping away from the, the, uh, the kind of like the, the, the normal roles that, that kind of like surround my everyday life to go away and do these shows and become this, like, you know, just totally, totally kind of like Carl from, you know, memoriam or whatever it was in the past you know uh, and that is why i'm doing at that moment in time that specific point in time that is me you know and it's genuine it's true it's real and i think yeah that, that sharing that special moment is really incredibly important you know we to, to uh to kind of like make that contact with people and and um yeah be real it's, it's, it's been real at the end of the day and, and and it's kind of a great for me it's a great escape you know doing that doing the band and yeah, to kind of convey that kind of like uh, that kind of who I am, it's just another version of me, and um, you know, it's 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 something that I think we you know we can all do. You know, yeah, you could probably do that. You know, I mean, we could all do that. If I can do that, you can probably do that. Kind of gives that kind of feeling that's of connectivity. You know, on a larger level. You know, which which yeah. really works well. Well, you know, yeah, I, I was I was thinking about more along the lines of like, you know, you I guess your music is about World War Two. You know, it's about like grim things and like, you know, like two brothers in the trench, you know, one person's going to live and one person's not. And, you know, <laughs> like that, dark, you know, like that kind of darkness there, you know what I'm saying? And, and yeah. I guess, you know, in some sense, you're like, man, I'm having a great time playing this music. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? The juxtaposition. Yeah, oh yeah. There's so different levels of interpretation of that, you know, of, of the music. I mean, historically, yeah, the songs have always been about war. Yeah, yeah. But, but these days, that, that, that we we talk about so, so many different different elements that are, that uh, that kind of come into our music. But yeah, there is a, a serious edge to what we're there's a serious edge to what we're we're coming across and what we're doing. But um, you know, 
when we play live, it's a different experience. It completely, you know, it's it's uh, it's it is a celebration. It's a, it's a joy, a joyous experience when, when we're playing live. Your your relationship with Seagrave, you know, and doing uh, doing all these records together, you know, as far as like the art, does that does that? I would imagine that has just come just the fact over the years you being a fan, you knowing him through the years and all that kind of thing is, you know, through both over and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, there was never any contact, any contact with, uh, with, with both. It was, it was yeah. primarily, it was primarily no, I mean, like, you know, like peripherally, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, the direct communication came through benediction basically. Oh, okay. uh, and um, cause he worked with them in, in the past and, you know, when we when we first got together as a band, we were kind of like you know we, we kind of when we were working out what we wanted to do. Uh, going back to the, the the first question there about doing the punk rock covers album, you know, we we all sat around the table and said, well, what do you want to what what would you like to achieve? What's on your bucket list? You know, at this point in our lives, we want to try and tick off as many things as we can while we can. You know, and mine was like to do the punk rock covers album, which hasn't been done yet. Uh, and um, yeah, well, Scott's specific thing that he said he wanted to achieve was he wanted to get an album cover done by Dan Seagrave. Now, obviously, Frank had worked with Dan Seagrave previously, uh, so he can't he communicated with him directly and said, "Look, yeah, you know, do, do you fancy doing this uh, this cover, this this album for us?" And you know, we we, we kind of we sold him the idea, we told him what we wanted to achieve, and he and he did that, and, and it just all evolved from from that point onwards that that he did the first album cover, then he did the second, and then the third, and because it's he tells such a strong a strong story. You know, on, on all three, you know, it kind of it covers you know, what I call the, now call the death tr- trilogy. You know, where this is the coffin is the central focus of all three albums, and and you know to be involved with Dan and and um, you know his his creative process is incredible because you've got you and birds and all these ideas that you've got in your head that you'd, you'd like to kind of see as an album cover, which you know, you're just like ideas, and you kind of like send them to him as an email and then he interprets them and you watch this interpretation of, of your ideas kind of evolve from a, a rough random sketch where he sends you three or four random ideas of, of what interpreting what you've, you've given him and then you pick one of those and then he rolls with that idea and he starts to flesh it out and then ink it out and then then put some colour into it and watching the the idea that you've had you know originally in your head come to fruition as, as an album cover is, is an absolutely amazing um, creative you know, experience to behold and, and, and to have experienced that four times now, you know, on the trot is, is incredible. You know, it, it came to the point with um, the, the end of uh, the last trilogy of albums we did, you know, the, uh, the Requiem for Mankind, the last album, where we thought, well, you know, where do, where do we go with this? We, we, we're not on Nuclear Blast. We're going to we're going to potentially do the punk rock albums cover. Never got done. Uh, so we're going to move, we're going to go, Kind of, we came up with this kind of like concept of doing this new trilogy of of, uh, of um, albums, and yeah, was it? We, we thought, well, well, yeah, what do we do? Do we do we kind of like re-engage with Dan, or do we try to take it, get a different artist? But you know, we, we the bottom line is that once you set your standards so high by using such a well-established and well-revered um, artist such as Dan Seagrave. 
it, it's very, very difficult to kind of like, you know, engage the services of, of, of any, anyone else because you know, if the artwork was, was slightly different or not as, you know, not up to that kind of stand, standard as Dan's, you just automatically, you, you're automatically in a way kind of setting yourself up for criticism straight away. You know, you're on a, you're on a negative spin before you before anyone's even heard the album. They're thinking, well, the album covers... The artwork's not as good, so you know the, uh, this this album's not as good. So so yeah, we 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 were pretty much beholden to use uh, Dan again, and it, it was very very late in the day when we approached him. It wasn't probably until August where I kind of came up with this kind of concept of doing a trilogy of albums again, and um, you know we were recording in October, uh, which meant that. Um, you know, we we needed the album. We needed the album artwork completed by by the end of the year, or by you know, November December twenty twenty. So uh, it was you know in late August, early September, where we sent we sent down a tentative email saying, "Look, Dan, I've got this brilliant idea. We want you to do the artwork, but we need it in six weeks' time." Can you deliver? <laughs> Can you do it? And of course, Dan's really, really, yeah, you know, he's, he's a very popular artist. You know, his, his work schedule is very, very full, you know, for probably fully booked for about 18 months in advance. But luckily, you know, he liked the idea, which I, I kind of like sold to him. I think he liked the idea of prospectively getting three album covers out of it. <laughs> and um, <laughs> well, actually, worked out quite well. Uh, but uh, but yeah, he liked the idea. Yeah, and he, and in a nutshell, he managed to live, to deliver it within six weeks, which fit in on, into our schedule uh, really well. And for me, it's my favourite cover that he's done so far because he's got so many different elements in there, which symbolises where we're at as a band. You know, to, I mean, it symbolises there's a lot more light in this one. You know, you, you see the the central figure. Is this fallen hero, which you see on the previous three three albums in in the coffin? Yeah, but on this album, you see him in his state of life and uh, holding an, an, a gold, a kind of like a, a green orb, which kind of symbolises life. And there's there's kind of a bit of a light at the back of the album cover as well, which yeah, you know, I think it's kind of like re- reference to the point of life where we're at with COVID. You know, we kind of we are kind of starting to see you know the hope of a new you know, of life becoming as as it was once again, you know, back to normality or a semblance of normality at some point in the future. So, yeah, I think this this new uh, direction, this new set of, tri- this trilogy of albums is going to be a lot more hopeful about the future, you know, and um, it's great to work with Dan and be a part of that creative process. It's uh, incredible. He's an incredible artist and we, he is definitely part of the team. One thing I've always wanted to ask, um, and it just came to me. I don't know why I've never asked this before of, of, of artists because I've, I've definitely talked to a lot of artists who have used uh, Dan Seagram stuff. Um, Carl, if I was to go to your house and walk into your living room, would there be, uh, you know, the cover of a uh, the the cover of one of these LPs sitting over your um, over your couch? Uh, not over my couch in my living room, no. <laughs> um, I don't think the kids would really kind of like understand or appreciate that. But in my, <laughs> in, in my office space, yes, you will find the three canvases uh, from the first three albums on my wall in the office space on the wall behind where I'm sitting right now, actually. Amazing. So there you go. So, uh, so yeah, they, they are up there, but, uh, but not in my general living area. 
Okay. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, I, I mean, do. It's all down to, you know, I mean, artwork, you know, as per se, it's always been really, really important yeah. to me. I'm from that genre, that, that, that kind of like, um, that generation where, you know, we, we before we had albums, buying albums and, and the physical tactile element of buying a big album and looking at the artwork while you're listening to the album. You know, the artwork for me is, is as important as the music in many respects, you know, yeah. always has been, always will be. Yeah. And that was reflected pretty much with, with the music of Bolt Thrower as well. You know, the, the artwork was pretty central to the theme of what we were doing. And that's something we, we maintain with Dan. You know, it's, it's really, really important for us to have, you know, this killer artwork, which reflects what we're trying to achieve with the music as well, you know, and, uh, you know, I think that comes from with, with, it's something that comes from our, from our age and our heritage in many respects. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've always just had a question of where that where a lot of these originals sit at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, if he's like if if you're buying the painting or you're buying the print to use with the LP, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean they they're up there in my office, they're on the wall in my <laughs> office, but um uh, not in general view. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> So yeah, I guess let's let's speak about to the end. You know the the kind of new we talked about this being a, a new trilogy. Um, I think a lot of a lot of um, the first three were just kind of in some ways kind of um, packing up. Um, you know, like new uh, obviously a, a new new music and new um, um, new ideas, uh, but uh, in some ways applied to like. Um, you know, the passing of friends with, with ball thrower and, you know, benediction and all that. And kind of, that's kind of where the name comes from. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so like, you know, what are some of the ideas coming behind this, this next, tr these next two albums and, um, this album in particular? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I said that the, the first three albums we did, you know, were very much born of that, that experience of, of, um, uh, of losing, you know, like, like Martin, and and so that that was the kind of the catalyst for the band yeah. starting in the first place. And so the, all the the kind of lyrical themes that are focused on those first three albums are pretty much about you know the, kind of the feelings of grief and and, and and sorrow and loss and mourning, and they they are the song the kind of lyrical themes that that permeate throughout those three albums. You know, the, the, the central theme visually mm -hmm. is always a coffin. Of the fallen leader, comrade, whatever he wanted him to be, king, figure, whatever. And so, yeah, the first album you see the, the, the kind of like the coffin being carried across the uh, the ravaged battlefield, and the second one it's the the, the coffin lying in state, and then the third album it's the coffin being you know interred and taken into the ground. So it's always like the you know, this kind of central figure being seen in his state of death. So that's why I refer to that through first three albums. That's been you know, the death cycle trilogy, and yeah, we, we kind of we came to that kind of the end of that with Requiem for Mankind, and we were thinking, well, we, you know, where can we go with this idea? Do we scrap it completely, or do we start something fresh? But you know, visually, it worked so well that I felt that you know we needed to kind of like um, you know look move forward with it. You know, we're five years on down the line now. And uh, yeah, th those feelings of, of grief and sorrow will always kind of like hold true, and there will always kind of you know be moments in your life where you're reminded of them. You know, I'll specifically refer to you know the loss of LG from um, 
LG Petrov from, from Entombed AD just last week. You know, yeah. all these little moments when you lose yeah. like friends, uh, you know, it reminds you of your own mortality. And and, and so, the, so those themes of loss and mourning will always re- resonate throughout what we do. But five years down the line, you know, we, we're, yeah, things are different a little bit now. You know, we've been through this kind of experience of this global experience that we've all gone through. Mm-hmm. Experienced in our own separate individual ways, you know, with 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 this global phenomenon of, of COVID, and uh, we've all felt quite isolated and, and insular in, in in our little worlds. And um, we're now at this point where we kind of like, you know, we're starting to kind of like see the end of that tunnel and kind of like the, the emergence of, of of life again, as we as we once knew it. And and I think this new trilogy is an exploration of, of new hope and a new future that we all may have. Um, yeah, it symbolises hope. I've always, as I said previously, lived by this moniker of, of a celebration of life through death metal. So, you know, I wanted to look at that kind of like aspect of life rather than focusing on the aspect of death. And um, so this, this album cover, yeah, the new album cover, um, very much features... The, the leader figure in his life site, as I said previously, you know, with the, with the orb and the, and the kind of like the light in the background as well. Mm-hmm. So we are now going to experience uh, this central figure's life. This that album in particular is like, um, it's like a prequel, you know, it's like, it's very, very much uh, on a, a George Lucas kind of level. It's, it's, it's a bit smart. <laughs> and uh, that, that, that is a, a moment in time before, just before the first album. So to put it in context, the, the picture you're seeing there is the, the leader leading his troops into battle just before he gets killed. And the next image there will be for the fallen. So this is the kind of the point in time just before for the fallen. So, to the end is, is this the starting point, which is just just before the, these these three albums, and we're going to work backwards. So we're going to experience and look at specific times within this leader's life, you know, throughout the next couple of albums, you know, within his life, and it's going to be very much about celebrating life and and all about that and hope and joy uh, in death metal. So that, that, that's what we're intending to do with these next couple of albums is, is move forward with a, you know, a bit more of a positive manner, I think, really. We're looking to, uh, to, um, to look a bit more positively about the world. Yeah. Yeah. You tend to write, you guys write very quickly. Um, we were looking at like, well, you did four records in five years. Am I, am I right? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, um, how has writing, playing during during COVID been? Have you guys been able to get together and work on new stuff? Yeah, I mean that's an interesting point. You know, um, you know, once we 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 kind of like yeah, we released Requiem for Mankind, and then we had quite a busy, hectic um, calendar of, of 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 gigs lined up for twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. And we kind of started off the year on quite a positive note, and we we did a couple of shows. We did a great show in London, probably the best show in London so far. And then we played um, a couple of shows in Denmark, and then March came along, and the whole world kind of ground to a, a halt, <laughs> you know. And uh, and you know, the whole the whole our all our lives just you know, changed. Uh, in in the you know, in, in the blink of an eye, basically like that. So, but since then, you know, we haven't been able to do any shows, and um, 
as a result of that, you know, it, it did kind of like give us this big space, you know, schedule to concentrate on doing the new album. You know, uh, this is something that was, was unprecedented. And normally, yeah, normally we kind of like doing shows every the weekend. That's 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 what we do. You know, we do shows. We're quite busy. Um, so we kind of constantly re- either a rehearsing for shows or b doing shows. And then when it comes to doing an album, you pretty much shut up shop about you know six to eight weeks before you head off to the studio, and then you focus entirely on writing. The album, you know, it's, it's usually there in the background, but, you know, the actual concentration on actually getting it all together. It's pretty much the last, you know, on the, in the 11th hour. And, um, you know, lyrically-wise, vocal-wise, you know, for me, the, writing the lyrics always comes after the music. So I'm always kind of writing the lyrics, you know, pretty much as I'm about to enter the studio. So what, I only ever get a chance to write one or two or three, maybe, draft versions before... They have to be committed to uh, to the uh, the studio. Whereas this time round, you know, it was very very different because we had plenty of time in advance to to prepare. So, for example, the music was completed in June July. We weren't during to the studio in October till October. So, I about three months to work on the uh, the lyrical contents of the uh, of the album. So, so it gave me plenty of chance to to rewrite and write and change and chop and change. Yeah, the, the lyrics. I, I went to the uh, went to, to Scott's studio, um, Riff Central, to demo the lyrics as well, which is the first time I ever had the opportunity to do that. Mm. And um, that was great because it gave me the chance to try and practice the different styles and delivery and structures and timing, and you know, work out different ideas that I maybe had in my head. Because sometimes you've got these great ideas that you want to deliver. But when you actually kind of stand up in front of a microphone and try to, uh, it just doesn't work. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm never going to be a Rob Halford. <laughs> it's never going to happen. Uh, sometimes these brilliant ideas you've got just, just don't, you just can't physically do it. Uh, and when you're in the studio and you're committed to record, you just got to go with what's going. But so this time around, we had much more time to, to work on these ideas and chop, chop and change and, and, and make, work, work on different ideas. So when we went into the studio in October, we were much more prepared. Yeah, we had a much more clearer idea what we were trying to achieve, and um, that's what worked so well. You know, is that having that that space and time to prepare in advance due to COVID, due to us having no other responsibilities uh, and commitments involved, has really contributed to making this album what it is. You know, and I think we, what we're going to try and do moving forward is we're going to try and keep a lot of those, this, this ethos and, and, and this space and time and move that moving forward for the next couple of albums as well. You know, maybe not releasing things at such a, such a voracious pace, maybe leaving it you know, for 18 months as opposed to yeah, 12 months. So you have a bit more time to, to work on the things. It seems to work really well for us. I mean, that bit of extra time to focus and uh, yeah, we've learned a lot. Yeah. We've learned a lot through this, this, uh, this coronavirus and pandemic, whatever you want to call it. You know, millions may have lost their lives across the globe, but we've managed to come up with a pretty strong album. So it's not all bad. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give, there, there's a silver lining <laughs> in, in, in every absolutely. Black cloud. Yep. Millions may, millions, yeah, millions may have died, but we've come up with a pretty good album. So it's all in all, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like yeah, millions died, but like I finally like caught up on um, most of the television that I had been wanting to watch for the past couple of years. So. <laughs> There you go. There's always something positive to spin out of the bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Metal Matters. Make sure you like or subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon. To get the most recent episodes automatically delivered to your phone. Thanks for listening and catch you next week. Next week.